Welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. Okay, so the two issues, um, let me jump into this. I, I actually try to first do, uh, well, not first, but I try to integrate what's happening in our culture inside my message. And really, the, the intention of a good preacher is that you're not noticing that I'm talking about cultural issues. I just kind of shoot at them and then move along. And it's just baked into how what we do. And so we don't avoid things like politics. We don't avoid you know, things like airline pilots dying at 6x the national rate. Did you know that? Like, you know why Southwest, you know the Southwest thing that happened, like the whole airline shut down? You know, there was a study that came out that said Southwest pilots are dying at 6x the national rate because they're under stress and they have injected an object into their body that's exacerbating the stress that they already are under and they're dying. And so get your airline pilots license. There's going to be lots of jobs available soon. Um, it's not even funny. It's just true. This is going to be a rough message, and I'm sorry right now. It's going south immediately, right away. And so this is, let's just start with this. It's not my normal message. I Forgive me already. It's going to be rough. Anyway, I wanted to, I want to hit a couple of just cultural moments because there was a couple of big cultural moments that happened this week. And, and I just want to use them as teaching lessons. The first moment was this gentleman named Tyre. Uh, Nicholas was killed by police. And um, this is what I do when something like that happens. Uh, nothing. Because uh, I don't know what happened. And I saw some footage, but I didn't see all the footage. I read some articles, but it seems like there's a lot of holes. The, the irrational, the immature, the... the um, passionate, as soon as they see what appears to be an injustice from 2,000 miles away on a piece of footage, they just start screaming and lighting police cars on fire and whatever infantile nonsense they do. Uh, I did the same thing with this situation that I did when George, George Floyd was killed, nothing, because I don't know what happened yet. I believe that justice God ordained to move slowly. Uh, why? Because uh, if you marry passion to justice, you get tyranny and destruction. If you marry to justice, logic, calculation, then you get a more accurate application of justice. Justice is supposed to be blind. It's not supposed to be passionately enraged by a, a certain color of the context. It's supposed to rightly divide right and wrong. So that's my encouragement for um, the Christian Instagram warriors. Uh, don't rush to judgment on complex issues of death when you don't know what happened yet. You may look like a moron in three or four days. And maybe not. Maybe something horrific happened, and then it should be justly and swiftly punished to the fullest extent of the law. But I just take my time with that, and I think that's a biblical way to think. Um, rationally and rightly, according to God's order. Amen? The second uh, cultural moment that I'd like to talk about very briefly is um, the former, formerly living Pope Benedict died, and he released a, a posthumous book. A posthumous book is a book that's released upon your death. You say, I don't want this coming out until I'm dead, because I don't want to really deal with the repercussions of it. That's why you do that. And uh, this book he released 
is really significant and nobody's talking about it except a couple of weirdo conservative sites and a couple of weirdo Christian sites. But it's a major deal when the leader of the largest world religion releases a posthumous book and starts saying things about the Catholic Church. Things he's saying are things like there are active circles of homosexual priests that are rising in the church. Um, church priests that are professors are showing pornography to their upcoming priests all together sitting in groups. He's basically saying that... Um, the Catholic Church is in serious, serious trouble. And um, so we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ on that side of the aisle, amen, um, because it is a, it is, the judgment of God is real. The judgment of God is real. And he drops bombs of judgment. I, I, something I hate about the... Um, intellectual conservative movement is they have this because they're so locked into the here and now they believe that the devil and all of his people are just going to win they just love to repeat that and we're going to be persecuted and we're all going to be round up rounded up and i don't know if you know this but god judges sin god judges sin he judges nations and when nations do horrible things he still judges them he has done it throughout the entirety of the Bible and the scripture over and over and over again says he does that. And so I just think for the believer, don't be afraid. God, you and Christ are on God's team. Let's say it that way, right? God is not necessarily on your team, but you and Christ are on God's team and he's going to judge the nations. People have been talking about a worldwide revival for most of my life. And do you know how revivals have happened every time in the history of the world? By massive tragedy happening. Revival has never been separated from massive tragedy because it is primarily through tragedy that humans turn their heart back to God. It is not primarily through blessing. It's not how it works. I mean, I'm a dumb human and so are you. And the times where it's gotten painful, I am God's best friend. Yeah. I remember this time I was dying. I thought I was dying. I didn't die, clearly. I, I've, what, what did I have right here? Kidney stones. <laughs> and I was, I was lying on the bed of the hospital, and I was singing worship songs. I was lying on the floor first. And I, was, and I got to the hospital, and I was singing worship songs. <laughs> Truly. Um, because I thought I was going to die at that moment. And I was like, if I'm going to die soon, I really want to be on God's good side before I die. I'm going to shoot out a couple of last worship songs just before I meet him. In your presence, all fear is gone. You and me, God, we've always been this tight. We've always, every day, been this tight. <laughs> well, that's because that's how we respond generally to God, through pain, humanity responds to God. And I don't know, maybe everybody will be fine and nothing will happen. Nothing will happen. Maybe all the died suddenlies are just going to disappear or perhaps they'll get worse. And, and God will be the savior of mankind. And man will not be its own savior, but God will be the savior. 
and he will heal bodies and save souls. Perhaps. The third thing that's happening this week is, in, is Gabe is right now speaking to our church in Charleston, so hopefully he's not telling them Hitler is in heaven. We can pray for that right now. We can pray he's not doing some kind of clickbait Kanye comment right now at Charleston Church that drives people towards the sea, drown themselves. Lord be with Gabe right now in Charleston, Jesus' name. <laughs> Stephen, I go away for one Sunday. He's saying Hitler's in heaven. What's going on here? What's happening? <laughs> I'm joking. He was, he was just, he was guessing. Okay. Okay, let's jump into the, the, the scripture. You guys ready? Let's start the, start the message, Eric, right here. Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said this of this portion of Scripture. Check this out. This is wild. He said, this was the chief point and the very central place of the epistle of Romans and the central place of the whole Bible. That these two verses here... Upon it is the fulcrum of the gospel, where the Old Testament meets the New Testament, where the gospel is best explicated to all of humanity. It's these two verses. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So on the first half of that phrase, we have all of us. And we have the first three chapters of Romans because Paul's been saying, yo, Gentiles, you have the natural law and you've been rejecting it and you've been living in sin and you've been rejecting God's way. And then he says to the Jews, you guys had God's law, not just like this natural law stamped on your conscience. I feel bad when I, you know, slap my mom. It's no, you had God's written law, every finite element and you still rejected it. And so then we all show up here at the fulcrum, Romans 3.23, and it says this, and all have sinned, but all are justified freely, all that except by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. All are justified. Everybody say freely. freely. Let's do that one more time. All are justified. Martin Luther was watching the Catholic Church sell the forgiveness of sins in direct contradiction to the incredible, insane, mind-blowing, cosmic gift of Jesus, the free forgiveness of sins that justifies. That word justifies means makes right, but also deeper than that, it means to purify you before God. So that when you stand before God, he doesn't just see a guy that's like, oh, you're kind of on the path. Hopefully you make it all the way in. He sees someone that's pure and righteous. That's what the gospel does. And, and Martin Luther, you know, he lost his mind a little bit. He was like, you guys are selling the forgiveness of sins with money? Like, you're like, hey, you're like, 
you know, you killed somebody, it's going to be like at least three grand, like bare minimum. I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if we did this on Instagram and I could just have a button that was like, pay me 20 bucks a month, all your sins are forgiven. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? That's exactly what was happening. And they were turning the grace of God into something for profit and for gain. And it was incredibly evil. I think uh, there's different times in the, the history of man, the history of the church, and there are wartime leaders and there are peacetime leaders, and sometimes you need a peacetime leader. He's just called to keep the peace, hold the status quo, like don't go backwards, hold on to what's been given, and then there are the Martin Luther guys. And Martin Luther, he was kind of a nutbag. He drank like a barrel of beer every day and said horrible things about Jews, like not a great, not always great. But there is a difference between a wartime leader and a peacetime leader. And sometimes you need the tenacity of a wartime leader that will stand up in a moment of righteousness and say, this has gone too far. And there's a moment in the church right now where the church has been slowly ebbing towards secularism and, frankly, darkness. Celebrating what we ought to be ashamed of glorying in our sin. And God has called some people to be wartime leaders. And wartime leaders don't make great friends. It's not like having a bunny rabbit as a pet. It's like having a pit bull as a pet that might eat your kids. Don't own pit bulls, please. What are you doing? What are you doing? Get rid of them. Dear God. We just lost some viewers, folks. The pit bull people. They're like, it's nurture. No, no, they just like to eat kids. It's like, it's how God made them. So send them to war. Don't put them in your backyard. Who's, who's is that you, Gerard? You, you hate pit bulls too? We're on the team, secretly? Start a club. Okay. <laughs> um, let's get into scripture. Pastor, please stop rambling. Okay, here we go. Uh, what then is the boasting? What then, where then, is boasting? What's Paul talking about? He was like, I just said the law is a massive benefit. I said this symbol that the Jews had called circumcision, that's a massive benefit. So people have benefits, but it's not, they don't equate to justifying you before God. All have sinned. And so even if you have benefits in your life, even if there are some things like are helpful, like you grew up in the church, you learned how not to slap your grandmother, that's great, but that doesn't justify you before God. There are benefits to knowing righteousness. That's different than justification. There are benefits for vo voting for the right people. Your society will decompose at a slower rate. There are benefits to it, but that does not justify you before God. And Paul says, so where is your boasting? Jews, you can't boast because you have the law. Gentiles, you can't boast because they made a mistake. There's, boasting is, is idiotic for both of you in comparison with the amount of forgiveness that's been bestowed upon you through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Paul starts to get into, he finishes this Jew-Gentile thought. And remember, this is the context of the book of Romans. 
He's bringing these disparate groups together and saying, hey, guys, I'm teaching you how to live together. I know you have backgrounds. I'm going to talk about that. But ultimately, your unity is in Christ and your value comes from Christ. Your identity is in Christ, not some other thing, not the symbol of circumcision, not the law that you had before. Your value and your identity ultimately will be in Christ Jesus. Which is why, you know, like, I can't handle when we do different ethnic days or months or weeks or whatever as Christians. Like, you, you know, you want to do Mayorian cooking day, fine. Like, I'll eat your food, whatever, whatever. But for the believer, the value in Christ Jesus is so much vastly greater than cultural fun. And we, as our culture, we think cultural distinction is like the highest value. Why? It's uh, a longer message. Globalism. Globalism message next week. Come for the uh, anti-Davos globalism message next week. It's just, I told you, it's going to be rough. And we're just Klaus Schwab in it. Okay. 4.1 gets really interesting. And, 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 and Paul starts doing this thing analytically where he's moving from the joining of these disparate groups to saying, oh yeah, and by the way, this is how it started in Abraham. This is the true lineage of faith through this archetype, which is Abraham, that flows down through you, the children of Abraham. Let's read it here in, in verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? Paul is not talking to the Jews. He's not just talking to the Gentiles. He's talking to all who are in Christ Jesus, our forefather, Abraham. Because Abraham was the first one in the story, when you go all the way back to the beginning of the story, that heard the voice of God, that started following God, received this calling from God, had a promise from God. It was a huge promise, massive. And then didn't see the fulfillment of that promise for decades, waiting on the promise, hoping for the promise. And then finally the promise was fulfilled. And it's an archetypal story of all of our faith stories in Christ Jesus everyone's, yours, mine, and Christ, who is not just the archetype, but he's the type, he's the fulfillment of this story. So I want to just go through a couple of points in this Abraham story. It's my favorite story in the Old Testament, and I, I hope it encourages you, and then we'll wrap it up. But um, he's the forefather, Matthew 1.1. Jesus, it says this about Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You know, in the church, we don't really talk about Jesus as the son of Abraham, but the first verse of the New Testament does. The very first verse in this book that begins the new covenant calls Jesus the son of Abraham. And the idea is that he's fulfilling this Abrahamic promise of faith, this impossible promise of God can be fulfilled by the hand of God. John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. How have you, Jesus, seen Abraham? 
58 says, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. There's a new song we're going to write. Jesus hid himself. Yeah, yeah. I just never thought, like, Jesus hid himself? Isn't that weird? He didn't want to get stoned. Physically or spiritually. (laughs) Jesus said, I am before Abraham. So Jesus in the flesh is the son of David because he's descendant from Abraham through David, through Mary, into the flesh, Jesus, because he's he's physical man and he's the divine, right, God himself incarnated, incarnate. And so he was also, John 8, 56, so there's no confusion, was before Abraham and, in fact, the creator of Abraham and the creator of the whole story and, in fact, was thinking about you before the foundation of the earth is what the scripture says. Okay, Genesis 12, 1. So the first point on this journey of faith It starts with these three words, and this begins every journey of faith. It says this, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Those three words are the three words that begin every faith journey. The Lord, the Lord said. I'm like, the? Is that really a word? It's kind of half a word. The Lord said. The calling of God is the initiation of every journey of faith. And my favorite part about this scripture is it doesn't say how God spoke to Abraham. We have a default belief in the church that when it says God spoke, we assume it was the audible voice of God, you know, going like, Abraham! Get out of bed. (laughs) The scripture doesn't say that it was the audible voice of God. God doesn't always speak to us audibly. There have been the vast majority of the time that God has spoken to me and something extraordinary has happened. It's been an internal impulse that I can't necessarily even put into words. Like, I have to go here. I don't know why. You know, the story about Bethany and I moving to New York City to plant a church is the, uh, one, this little part of it is I was fasting and praying, and I just felt compelled. I didn't hear a voice in my heart. I, didn't, I just felt compelled. And I said, I feel like we're supposed to pray and ask God that he would give me $5,000 tomorrow to confirm that we're supposed to move to New York City and start a church. And Bethany said, go for it, Pray. I I don't ask her permission to pray. I pray when I want to pray, just to clarify that point. (laughs) Sound a little femmy when I said that. (laughs) Just so you know. I can pray whenever I want to pray, sincere. I don't got to ask anybody. (laughs) We were were at this very intense point of our life before we moved here, and we we were praying together. And so I said, Lord... I need you to confirm that we're supposed to do this, and I need you to give me five grand tomorrow. Give it to me. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And then the next day, as most of you know the story, we're sitting in the kitchen and somebody called us and said, hey, we, were, we know David was going to start a law practice and we're going to send him some money in a couple of months. We just really felt like we had to tell you today we're sending you a check for $5,000. Okay, listen, God didn't say to me audibly, pray for $5,000 and I'm going to answer the prayer. I, didn't even, I wasn't even waiting on the Lord and hearing that. I was just compelled to do it. What I love about this story is that it doesn't say how God spoke to Abraham. Maybe you don't know why you're here today. Maybe you've just been compelled to be here. You're like, I have to get here. I was on my honeymoon. Will be 18 years this summer. And thank you very much. That's the majority status. Extra points. And I was... Like five, it was, no, it was like probably 7.45 in the morning, and there's a church on the other side of Maui. We were in Maui, because the righteous honeymoon in Maui. Can we get an amen, Noah, Sophia? Oh, you guys, are you guys in Maui too? Awesome. And I was like, I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to go to this church. And I was looking at churches. I like to go church, see churches. I like to spy on them. I like to criticize the preacher. <laughs> Mainly, I like to criticize the preacher. And I'm looking at like the biggest, coolest looking church in Maui, has the most lasers. And I just felt like the Lord was like, I don't want you to go to that church. I want you to go to this other church. And I, the other church was ugly and it had an ugly brick building and <laughs> the middle of, it was an ugly church, truly. And I was like, I don't want to go to that church. And I felt compelled to go to the church. I shook my wife, woke her up. She doesn't like to get out of bed fast. She's a very slow morning person. I'm, I'm, I'm out like a bullet. I'm out, I'm taking over the city. I'm doing life, I'm suing people. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. She's a slow mover. She needs coffee, Bible. Like she's like, she's moving slowly into the day. So I was looking for socks this morning. I was in my sock drawer and there was like two socks. And then I opened my wife's side. She's got like a basket the size of a small New York City apartment full of socks. It's like, what's going on here? What's going on? We need counseling, marriage counseling, related to the sock distribution of this family. Did you realize this? This is a problem. So I, I go to the ugly church. I get Bethany up. I go to the ugly church. And this is, I'm not kidding, my favorite theologian in the world... This, his name is Kevin Connor. Uh, he, he died a number of years ago. Kevin Connor was preaching that morning at that church. He is the theologian that, that created a systematic theology that was historically sound. So honoring the church fathers, solid with an emphasis on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Most systematic theologies ignore the Holy Spirit. Kevin Connor was one of the first to emphasize the gifts of the Spirit inside of systematic theology. And this is far, you know, this is way before I met Gabe and Nathan. Gabe and Nathan were trained by the same theologian. And on that morning, I ended up in this church that he was visiting that Sunday morning. Said a couple of things that changed the way I thought about the world and God. I was just compelled to be there. That's how God speaks sometimes. So the first thing that Abram at the time his name is Abram here, hears is the voice of God. 
And then inside the voice of God is the call of God. And, and, and God says to Abram, he says, I want you to leave your father's house, leave your country, leave your security, and go to the land which I will show you, which is the stupidest set of directions of all time. He's like, get in the car, just start driving, I'll show you where to go. It's like, how do I know if I'm going the right direction? It's like, just start driving, we'll get you there. Leave, and then after you leave, it says, and I will show you the land which you will go. And, and remember, Abram is not leaving, like he's not driving his car out of the parking lot. He's going into this region where, remember, like in chapter 19, the angels pop into a city and the whole city tries to rape them. It's not like you're just going for a walk in the neighborhood. It is dangerous and insecure and unknown and you don't have a map and you're not sure where to go and God calls Abram on that kind of journey and perhaps he's called you on that kind of journey. The crossroads, Haran is a crossroads, and it's such an incredible picture of humans that get stuck at the place of decision. God, I don't really want to give you everything, but I know I need to. And indecision is its own decision. In Abram's father, Terah, it says in chapter 11 that he was on his way to Canaan, where Abram finds his promise. He's on his way to Canaan, the end of verse chapter 11, but he gets stuck in the crossroads and he dies there. And that happens sometimes. So he, he hears the voice of God. He gets the call of God. He follows. And then out there on the journey, he receives the promise of God. The thing his heart really longs for, the calling that's deep down that he doesn't even know how to articulate God speaks it to him. Genesis 15, 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Abram, saying, The one, excuse me, this one will not be your heir, but the one who comes from your own body will be your heir. Then the Lord took him outside and say, Now look to the heavens and count the stars if you are able. Then he told him, So shall your offspring be. Verse 6, here it is. This echo from Romans chapter 4. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteous. Now, we're preaching through Romans chapter 3, and we're talking about what the gospel is, and we're talking about what faith is. But Paul uses this fulcrum point, the point where the scale tips, to bring in Abraham, the archetype of faith, Someone who had heard the voice of God, responded to the call of God, been given the promise of God, and waited and waited and waited, and nothing was happening. And I don't know about you, but I've been following God for a while, and there's promises that I've waited for, and nothing has happened yet. Have you ever been there? Have you ever prayed for a brother, have you ever prayed to be free of sin? The promise is that God is faithful to fulfill everything that he said to you. I have to tell you this story about the voice of God because 
Sometimes people hear audibly from God, and my brother, Robert, uh, older than a few years, older, my, three years up above me, he, was, he uh, was in a really tragic time in life. His wife had left him, and he was living what I consider to be suicidally. Uh, and that's if you just don't care about your life and you could live or die, it doesn't matter. Maybe you're not intentionally attempting to kill yourself, but you're living like life doesn't matter anymore. That's about one step away from actually offing yourself. And many people live in that place where they're kind of hoping that they would just have a heart attack or you know, a safe would drop on their head or they would just die because life is too painful. And he was in that place, and he had a little tiny apartment, probably the size of this area. And I remember visiting him one day, and the garbage was, I'm not kidding, like up about here, up above your knees high. And there was like a trail from the front door to the chair to the bedroom. And he was living with, didn't care if he lives or died. Doesn't matter. And one day he was going to go to work, and he felt compelled just to sit home and read his Bible. And that trail from the front door through the garbage to his chair, he just sat there and opened the Bible. And in the midst of the trash, he heard the audible voice of God, and it said one word. It said his name, Robert. And he said, just hearing that one word, he knew that God loved him. He knew that God cared about him. He knew that God had a plan for him in the midst of his trash, in the midst of death. And it changed his life, and now he's married. He's got a great wife, and he's adopted a, a great lunatic little kid, and he's doing pretty phenomenal. But could it be that in the midst of your trash that God would call your name and that all you would have to do is believe in him and righteousness could be imputed upon you in the moment that you say yes. Amen. Amen. So Abraham receives the promise of God and then he waits for, you know, about 40 years for that promise to be fulfilled. Paul echoes the waiting time in, uh, in two chapters. Uh, next chapter, in chapter 5, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, we now stand. And we boast in the hope and the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our suffering. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and has been given to us. Abraham is waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled, and he makes gigantic mistakes along the way. You know, as kids in nursery, you hear like, well, you know, David did this thing, and then Abraham lied. Like, Abraham didn't just lie. He was giving his wife over in sexual servitude to the king of Egypt. He was giving his wife away as a sexual slave to the Egyptian king. Yeah, he lied 
in the context of giving away his wife to be a slave. Can you believe that God would call a person like that, that makes mistakes at that level, to be the archetype of faith, to be made righteous and justified because he believed? And then this is what happens. The fulfillment of God comes, Genesis 21.1. Now the Lord attended to Sarah, and he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he promised. And so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, and at that very time, and it was at, this is a great, I love this part, and it was at the very time that God had promised. So Abraham, in faith, hears the voice of God. And through the voice of God, he has a call of God, and it's formalized. A promise of God comes, and he waits on the promise of God. And then ultimately, God fulfills the deepest dreams in Abraham's heart and has continued to fulfill it through you and I, the sons and daughters of Abraham. Worship team, why don't you come up? Church, I don't know where you're at in this story. Maybe you're a person and you're like, I don't know if I've heard the voice of God. God wants to speak to you. That's step one in this equation that Abram heard the Lord say that God wants to speak to you. He's calling you from the crossroads, from the confusion, from the stagnant places into the adventure of God. And it's not always safe, and we don't always know what's going to happen, and sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's humiliating and scary, and sometimes we crash and burn on the way. But if we will hold fast to his promises, if we will hold fast to his words, He is the one who is faithful to see it done. That's why Sarah had to be past the point of childbearing. Or else we would have said, you know, it's just natural. It wasn't really God. It was just me and my own kind of strategy. I did it myself. It's like, God, why are you waiting? (laughs) because maybe he wants to be the hero. (laughs) If there wasn't the waiting, then God wouldn't have been the hero. They would have just said, ah, it's just us, Lord. But beyond the point of no return, he brings life and fulfillment and hope and grace and peace and goodness and his promise. Stand up with me, church. God, we thank you that you are a God who sees faith. You're a speaking God. And you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Just like you were in Abraham's day, you are. And you call to sons and daughters to leave the crossroads and follow the adventure of faith. Call the hearts of sons and daughters in this place. 
in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast. Acts 2027 20, says, For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And that's something that we're trying to do at King's Church. We're trying to steward God's word and share it to a generation. If you want to partner in us sharing the whole counsel of God's truth, please text KCNYC to 77977 and partner with us here at King's Church to get God's message, his whole counsel, all over the place on podcasts and on radio and around the world so believers like you would be encouraged. Thanks.